Hello everyone, I'm Ronnie McBrayer, and I thank you for finding my podcast. Here you will find my regular talks, the occasional interview, hopefully a little light from the Enneagram time to time, and hear conversations with friends on the ever-changing, ever-evolving nature of faith. If you are burned out on religion, to quote Eugene Peterson's marvelous paraphrase, but your faith is still important to you, or if you consider yourself a spiritual exile with no real place of belief to call home, then I have you especially in mind, and I hope you'll stick around. As one ages, one must be more conscious of what he or she eats and drinks. At least that's what your doctor will tell you. That's what your lipid profile, your liver enzymes, and your glucose screening will tell you as well. Now I try, I do. I eat fairly healthy, though my cholesterol doesn't seem to notice. And I'm as active as my old COVID lungs will allow, though my triglycerides are not impressed. But there's one place that I toss all caution to the wind. And I don't go there often, especially during and after these pandemic years. But that is the movie theater. When I go to the movie theater, I want the $20 Coke and the $38 bag of popcorn. With butter and salt and more butter. My son Braden, when he was 12 years old, taught me to connect a drinking straw to the hot butter dispenser, and it will feed the bottom of the bag so that when you get to the bottom, it will be just as buttery as on top, and he is a genius, an absolute genius. Now, I can remember the first popcorn that I ever tasted. It wasn't from a jar of Orville Redenbacher, Valparaiso, Indiana. It wasn't full-wrapped Jiffy Pop that came a little bit later. It definitely was not popped in a microwave. My mother popped the corn on the stovetop, and she used this massive cooking pot, a kettle, that at the time I probably could have been able to use as a bathtub. The butter was just scalding hot in the bottom, and she pours the kernels in, and with two oven mitts, shook and shimmied that pot And you could hear the popcorn going off like firecrackers out on the sidewalk on the 4th of July. I hope you have, some of you have that memory. It looks like maybe that you do. Or maybe you have one like this. That's the first time I tasted it, and I love movie theater popcorn. But the best popcorn ever was served in Calhoun, Georgia's Super D Five and Dime Market. It was free. And... It was popped inside of one of those old carnival machines, and you didn't need gloves or a COVID mask. You just walked up with a scoop and scooped up your own serving into the paper bag and went outside and put a nickel in the kitty horse and sat down on the horse and took a ride and ate your popcorn, and all was right with the world. Popcorn has been found in ancient caves and Native American campsites dating back 6,000 years. People have always loved it. Light and 
fluffy and salty and buttery. There's nothing modern, or matter, no matter what marketing you may see, nothing gourmet about it. What makes it happen? Well, have you ever tried to eat dry, stone-like corn kernels? They might be better for your cholesterol, but they're not very good for your teeth. And they have no taste, no appeal. But popcorn, when that little nut, that hardened seed and shell pops, it becomes a culinary miracle. What makes popcorn pop? One word. Heat. Somebody said butter, and I admire that over there. (laughs) Inside every corn kernel is a tiny little factory of life. Everything that is needed to grow a stalk of corn, holding ears and ears of more corn, is inside that little seed. There is the seed itself. There are supplies of starch that will sustain that seed when it sprouts from the ground. It's those starches, by the way, that lead to whiskey, but that's a topic for another time that I'll leave alone. And with the seed and the starch is also a tiny bit of water. You may not know this, but that little corn kernel, 10 to 20% of its insides, H2O. Apply heat, I'm told optimally, 355 degrees Fahrenheit. And the pop you hear is not so much the kernel cracking, it is the water inside exploding through those cracks, releasing the now gooey and delicious starch as light fluffy popcorn. That's how it works. Now, I love popcorn, and yes, I am a nerd to even investigate how popcorn works. But I've always wanted to know, really, since I stood watching my mother make kettle corn for the first time. It was like a miracle. And this discovery says tons about how life works. I mean, really, haven't we all been a bit hard-shelled and fortified from time to time. You know what it's like to have to be tough? Because you go through stuff. You callous up. You brace yourself. And God knows how it feels to crack under the heat and the pressure. We know what it is like to be out of the proverbial frying pan and into the fire. We all, to a person, at least a person who has lived any length of time, we have all felt the flames. And we have smelled the smoke of the crucible. And we stop and we say, I wonder what's cooking, and discover that it is you. Pressure builds, heat rises, cracks are forming, and you think, this is it. I can't go on. It is the end. But no, it's not really the end. It's actually the beginning of something. Leonard Cohen, a rare talent of a wordsmith who wrote some mind-bending songs that can compete with smoking devil weed and listening to the dark side of the moon by Pink Floyd. Suzanne, Hallelujah, Bird on a Wire, Story of Isaac, be careful with your medications. If you sit and listen to him for too long, you might wander off into an alternative reality. But one of those dark brooding songs is called Anthem. And it goes like this. The birds they sang at the break of day, start again, I heard them say. Don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Ring the bells that can still ring, 
forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. So true. And when it comes to each of us, when we buckle beneath the pressure, when we crack, not only does the light get in, but what I am saying is that the goodness gets out. And it's the only way. The writer of 1 Peter is less folksy than I am. He's more eloquent, less of a nerd. But maybe he just never had free Super D five and dime popcorn from a carnival machine. He speaks of that which is inside of us as pure gold. Verses 6 and 7 are the crux of it. After he rightfully sings the praises of our salvation and hope, he says, So be truly glad... There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Now, honest disclosure, before I continue reading, my gut reaction when I hear something like that is not always bunnies and unicorns. It sort of ticks me off. Oh, you're having a rough time. Well, it'll get better eventually. Oh, just keep your chin up. You know... That's just not helpful most of the time, especially if someone is being dismissive or nonchalant when they say it. And maybe the writer here could be accused of such if he didn't go on and say more, but he does say more. Verse 7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So it's not really about grinning and bearing it. It's about recognizing there is some kind of meaning behind your troubles. Meaning that you may never see or experience in your lifetime. There is some kind of reckoning still to take place. A final correcting of wrong. And at the risk of sounding all pie in the sky, because I don't think it's quite like that, there is an ultimate triumph. And in the meantime, these sufferings that no one willingly invites, that no one sadistically wishes for, they have a work that they are doing. An internal work. Of bringing the goodness out. It's no accident that this is the New Testament reading on the first Sunday after Easter. It is the lectionary's way of interpreting the life of Jesus. Of understanding the Christian experience. Jesus suffered unspeakable torments. That's the crucible of the passion. That's Good Friday. He is laid in the tomb with all hope seemingly lost for himself and for his followers. That is Holy Saturday. But then that grave cracks open. The light gets in and the Christ gets out. And that, of course, is Easter Sunday. We live our lives along this same contour. We suffer, we doubt. We are crushed, we die a million different ways, we are left in the dark, 
struggling against the unknown and the unbearable, but we overcome. We rise. The Christ within us breaks free in resurrection power, but the pattern is always, always, always the same. There is no resurrection without a death. There is no Easter without Good Friday. There is no growth without suffering. There is no popcorn without pressure. There's no gold without fire. There is no remaking or remolding without the hammer and the anvil. There is no strength of character or soul, no flourishing of genuine faith without the weariness of the struggle and the lifting and relifting of the weight that bears down upon us. So no, this is not bunnies and unicorns. There are no shortcuts, no quick fixes, no easy exits. The only challenge is making it through today. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. The only task is what is. Not what could be, not what might have been, not what should have been. And the only way out is through. Not getting around it, not getting over it, but going into it and out the other side. Faith and whatever it is about us that will be eternal is built that way. And there is no other option. A few years ago, I think in a series on the life of Joseph, the Old Testament character, I told you about a visit I made to the Fort Knox gold mine operated by the Kinross Corporation in Fairbanks, Alaska. Do you remember me telling you that story? Good, I'll tell you again. Here's a picture of their operation. Now, gold has been pulled from the Fairbanks mining district for a hundred years. But no one has drilled, blasted, and processed with the immense efficiency found at Fort Knox. This mine covers 50,000 acres of Alaskan wilderness. Dump trucks more than two stories tall move 100,000 tons, 100,000 tons of material every day. And the mill adjacent to this massive hole in the ground refines this material 365 days a year, 7 days a week, 24 hours a day. And believe it or not, when they finish there, the reclamation of the original land is such that you will never even know they were there. The process is nothing like the first Klondike 10 panners. Or your favorite characters on Gold Rush, if you watch that show. All the rock is dumped into these conveyor belts. You can see on those dump trucks. It rides through the conveyor belts and then it's sorted into what can only be described as a giant washing machine. About the size of this building. And it tumbles those rocks and crushes those rocks into smaller pieces. And then it goes in another another conveyor belt into another machine until finally it's just dust. And then they gather all this dust and they put it into a leaching tank filled with cyanide. And the chemical reactions pull the gold that is in the surface of the earth out and you get the finished product there at the bottom corner melted down into bars. The Kenross Corporation must process 
33 tons of material to get this much gold for an equivalency. Next slide, please. This, the Statue of Liberty and the base, is 33 tons of material. They burn, scorch, and sludge that much stuff to get this. The expense, the time, the labor, the pulverizing, it must be worth it if the finished product is worth so much hard labor and so much hard time. Now bring that over into your own life. In the fire, under pressure, everything that is of of lesser value, everything that is stony, erodible, and perishable, it just, in troubled times, starts sloughing away. It is being consumed and crushed and pulverized and turned to dust so that what is real, what will prove to be eternal, what is the essence of who you are, your very soul will shine like gold in the ashes of what remains. I'm just an old chunk of coal, Billy Shaver wrote that song. But I'm going to be a diamond someday. That's what time, pressure, and heat does. I've been thinking of scores of people this week who are in the fire, who have suffered loss and the death of loved ones, excruciatingly long trials of faith and endurance, injustice, unresolved and unanswerable questions, circumstances that demand perseverance and patience, finished lines that just keep getting moved just as they approach what they think will be the end of their current troubles, sleepless, endless nights, gut-churning, heart-racing, tear-jerking days. To those who are in that fire now and to those who may come across these words later when they feel burned alive by their situation, I want to speak to you for just a second and say, first of all, that God is not out to get you. There is no divine anger directed at you in your current trouble. Heaven has not conspired to bring disaster upon you. It's just what it is. And it's just how it is. You are playing the cards you have been dealt. And it is your undeniable, unavoidable, inescapable reality. What you are left with, and the only thing you are left with, is what attitude you will take toward this reality. You don't have to like it. You can hate it. You don't have to smile and say your heart isn't breaking. You can let it all hang out. You don't have to harbor your resentments and hold your accusations against God. Fire away with all your questions and frustrations. God, if God is God, can take it. And the last thing you have to be is strong. Stoic. Hard shell. It's that impervious, hardened attitude that prevents the goodness inside of us from getting out. The bright, beautiful core will never shine until you break, until you surrender, until you say, Whatever in the hell this is, oh God, your will be done. Because I can't do anything about it. 
And there, deep within us, gleaming like 24 karat gold, is a sparkling faith that we didn't even know we were capable of possessing a faith that would have remained buried without the adversity, a faith that will last forever. William Sloan Coffin was pastor of Riverside Church in New York City for a decade back in the 1970s and 80s. And during his tenure there, his son Alex, 24 years old, died in a car accident. He was a prominent public figure. And as such, Coffin grieved publicly and essentially with his sermons, preached his way through his grief. And here are a few of his words after his son's funeral. And I'll close with these. Driving in a terrible storm, my son, Alexander, who to his friends was a real day brightener, and to his family as fair as a star when only one is shining in the sky. My 24-year-old Alexander, who enjoyed beating his old man at every game and in every race, beat his father to the grave. When a person dies, there are many things that can be said. But there is one thing at least that should never be said. The night after Alex died, I was sitting in the living room of my sister's house outside of Boston when the front door opened and in came a nice-looking middle-aged woman carrying about 18 quiches. (laughs) When she saw me, she shook her head, headed for the kitchen, and said sadly over her shoulder, I just don't understand the will of God. Instantly, I was in hot pursuit, swarming all over her. I'll say you don't, lady, I said. For some reason, Nothing so infuriates me as the incapacity of seemingly intelligent people to get it through their heads that God doesn't go around this world with His fingers on triggers, His fists around knives, His hands on steering wheels. God is dead set against all unnatural death. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, that when the waves closed over his sinking car, God's heart was the first of all hearts to break. For you see, here is what God gives to each of us. Minimum protection, but maximum support. And I swear to you, I wouldn't be standing here without it. This is a hard lesson to learn. We have to be forced down to come to understand it That even when pain is deep, God is still good. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Yes, but at least it is my God. So take hold. Cast your burden upon the Lord and God will strengthen you. Weeping will endure for the night, but joy will come in the morning. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Christ has overcome world. So seek consolation in that love which will never die. Find peace in the dazzling grace that always is and in the faith that is being formed even now 
within you.